We're going to have our second Bible reading now. So it's from Luke chapter 23, verses 22 to 49. For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never born, the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, then he, said, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this man, this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Oh, good morning. My name's John. I'm one of the ministers here at this church. And at Easter time, it's, it's quite nice, isn't it, it's just to reflect on some of the traditions, what we do. I remember growing up, we did have Easter egg hunts in our household as well. And I still remember the hardest egg to, for us to find. In fact, we didn't, in fact, find it. It was something my dad did. He wrapped it up in glad wrap. He put it in a half-used condensed milk can. And he placed that in the fridge. No one found it, obviously. Um, so that was hard. It was still it was a nice memory having those fun childhood days. Uh, now, what we in fact we don't do it anymore. But when our kids were a bit younger, we would um, uh, give them 
painted hardball eggs instead of chocolate. Too much chocolate, so that was what we did for some time. But anyway, what we'll do now is we'll spend some time reflecting on that passage that was just read. The story of the first Easter. A story that I'm sure many of us are very familiar with. And perhaps for some of us here, some from our community, it may be the very first time you heard of the Easter story. And we want to understand the Easter story rightly today, especially on Good Friday. And to understand Easter rightly is not merely to understand it as a story in history that it happened about 2,000 years ago, and it did. In fact, to understand Easter rightly is to see that this story is a story of rescue. It is a story of rescue that continues to touch every soul and every person. You see, the story of Easter is not just a story out there. We read of it, we hear of it, it is nice, but it is just a story out there. To understand it rightly is to see that it is a story for me. It is a personal story. It is a story for you. It's a bit like, you know, we hear stories of rescue on the news. That's one thing. It is great. It is heartening. But then discovering that you are the one in need of rescue, then it becomes a very personal story. It's a bit like, I used to enjoy watching that TV show Bondi Rescue. Remember that? It's an interesting, fun show. About 95% of the show is about international students or tourists who get caught in the rip, they can't swim, they're drowning, and then the lifeguard comes along and saves them. And I'm watching there in this lounge, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, you guys, just learn to swim. This is embarrassing. 95% of it is just about them. Until last summer at a beach in Marimbala. I feel a bit embarrassed sharing this story, but I will anyway. Beautiful afternoon with the family at the beach. Went for a swim with the boys, the two boys, just snorkeling. And shortly into this swim, I noticed that they were struggling a bit. And so I was looking out for them, and I was trying to swim to them. I was going hard. And then suddenly next to me, I noticed this longboard, the lifeguard, right next to me. And I'm looking up at him, and he's looking down at me. And I said, hey, look out for my boys. They're over there. Go save them. And so he looked at the boys, and then he looked at me. And he said, they don't need help. You're the one who needs help. But of course, I remember that Bondi Rescue. I don't want to be that embarrassing tourist. And so I kept on going, no, let me do this. I can do this. I can get out myself. But of course, the current was too strong. And he, he, he was still next to me. I probably didn't move at all. And he said, just get up. And so I did. And so we got to the rocks. I walked back to the beach. And my wife and daughter there, they did not want to know me at all. <laughs> that was embarrassing. But anyway, you see, the Easter story, on a more serious level, is a little bit like that. You watch a story of rescue. You think it is out there. But the Easter story is a personal one because the one who needs to be rescued is me and is you. And so in this story of Easter, we meet these two criminals who were crucified next to Jesus. Now in the ancient world, if there was a place that could be described as hell on earth, the place where you see gruesome brutality of torture, of torment, of shame and humiliation, it was the Roman cross. 
I mean, today we make the cross into jewelry, but if you're there in the first century, and if you got to witness the crucifixion, it would have been sickening. You would vomit because it would have been such a gut-wrenching, horrifying scene. You know, now to the cross, left here to experience excruciating pain. The, the design of the crucifixion was to extend the time of pain to prolong your death until you suffocated to death. You see, now you, you put yourself in the shoes of those two criminals next to Jesus. Put yourself in their shoes just for a moment. You're hanging there on the cross. What will you be thinking? You'll be thinking, well, this is it. This is the end. This is my life. I'm finished. And it is hopeless. Now, it might be hard for us to imagine what the end of our life might be as it was for them. We're certainly not hanging on the cross. But to reflect on what the end of your life might be, what comes to your mind as your life flashes before you. And I suspect even in a group this size, some of you may have had that near-death experience. But in a moment like that, what would be going through your mind as you were facing death, as death was staring you in the face? Well, you see, when we're young, when, when we're healthy and we're having a good life, we, we have other pressing concerns. We're not thinking about that. In fact, on the world stage now, there are so many pressing concerns that are just so unsettling. Our world feels so rattled in so many ways. I mean, this, this virus that's been with us for two years, we haven't seen the tail end of it yet. It's brought the world to its knees. The war in Ukraine. I mean, we're starting to hear some of the atrocities. And it is horrifying what some of the soldiers have done upon civilians. It is heartbreaking. It is heavy stuff. Or even on the world stage, international diplomacy, it is rumbling with friction. It is unsettling. But you see, these are the concerns which we think about when we're healthy, when life is good. But when death is facing you, in your face, what will be going through your mind? Well, see, that was what it was like for these criminals. On the cross, they're not thinking about world poverty, but they're thinking about well, is this it? Is this how I will end? Is this how I will die? And is there more? You see, when you're confronted by death in its face, it is deeply, deeply unsettling. Part of my work as a pastor is that I get the privilege to visit people in their nursing homes. And often my wife would come along with me. And as we walk down the corridors of these nursing homes... It's just hard to not sense the air of despair and sadness. Sometimes you hear even screams of agony from the different rooms. Many of these cooped up in their rooms, week upon weeks, months upon months, years upon years, and we would wonder with each other, what are they doing in their rooms? What's going on in their minds as they face the inevitable? Is this it? Is this how I will end? Is there more to life? Is there more after this? And there is this great fear of the unknown. And so these two criminals, what do they do as they face their end? Well, they turn to Jesus. They both cry for rescue. However, do you notice how their attitudes were so different? One felt 
deserving of rescue. But the other criminal felt deserving of nothing. And so the first criminal, what did he say? One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now what was going on with him? Well, you see, his precious last breaths, what he did with that, he used it to kick down another man. Aren't you the Christ? Scorning, jeering. Aren't you the king? Aren't you the one who, who people call as king? But then notice his last dash for hope, even in his mockery. What did he say? Save yourself and us. He's saying, we deserve to live. We don't deserve this. We deserve better than this. Now, obviously, he said that sneeringly with sarcasm. But even so, do you notice what he was wanting? As he faced his fate, he recognized that I wanted rescue too. But then we meet the other criminal. How did he respond? Well, he said, don't you fear God. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. You see, this other criminal behaved so differently when death faced him in the face. He faced his end with this deep and conscious realization. And I wonder whether many people do that today in the nursing homes. I am about to face God. This is it. My life will end. I may have spent my life ignoring God. I may have even denied that God exists. But I cannot avoid that any longer. Because all I have said and done, the things I have regretted, the things that I did and I'm so shameful of, the things that still weigh me down, where they're all coming back and they're haunting me now because I'll have to face God. You see, this criminal, he didn't blame anyone else for his predicament. He was honest. He didn't dodge the blame. I mean, so many people blame someone else. That's their fault. That's why I'm here. We hear that all too often, but his, this man, he was honest. It's my fault, and I deserve this. But he needed rescue too. And so where was this rescue to come from? Well, they both turned to Jesus, but why? We have to ask why. I mean, if there was anyone more helpless on that hill of Golgotha, it was Jesus on the cross. He was helpless. It would be a bit like if I was in a rip, drowning. I'm crying out for help from someone else who's also drowning in a rip. What help is that? What good is that? And that's why they were mocking, sneering, ridiculing him. If you're hanging on the cross, you've lost all human dignity. Often those who were crucified were crucified naked so that there's not just pain but shame. It was the Romans' way of saying, you are no use at all in society. You are better off dead. And so the rulers, they ridiculed him. In verse 35, they, they said, well, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And then they continue, verse 37, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then there was this inscription above his head, just to rub it in. This is the king of the Jews. That was his crime. And so they were thinking, well, what king is this? 
What a hopeless, helpless mess this guy is. What type of king puts himself to death? So weak, so pathetic. He saves others, but he can't save himself. But there in their mockery, they were in fact speaking better than they knew. You see, Jesus came from heaven to earth. That's the Christmas story for that very reason, the Easter story. To save others, which meant in a profound way, he could not save himself. They spoke better than they knew. One theologian, Don Carson, he puts it this way. He said, if he had saved himself, he could not have saved others. The only way he could save others was precisely by not saving himself. And so there in the middle, on the hill of Golgotha, Jesus was this unexpected rescuer. He is the king they mocked him to be. But now you might be wondering, well, how does dying save anyone in the first place? Well, we see that in the examples of the best of humanity, don't we? I mean, in a little over a week, we'll have Anzac Day. And what are we remembering? We're remembering the Anzacs who, who paid the ultimate sacrifice for the good of others. Or there's this story of a 16-year-old boy by the name of Frederick Dyson. He died on the 1st of January in 1869. His death was a sacrifice. You see, what happened was he noticed his friend drowning in the water, and so he jumped into the freezing water to save his friend, to rescue his friend. And what happened? His friend survived, but he didn't. And what Jesus, the Son of God, did on the cross was just like that, but on a cosmic scale. He gave his life to save others. Coming from heaven to earth, the one who was perfect, innocent. Pilate could not see any fault. Herod could not see any fault. That criminal could see that he was innocent. He lived the life that humans should have but can't. And he came, and he came standing with all the brokenness and wretchedness and messiness of humanity. He, in a sense, plunged himself into this world. He jumped into the sea, into the rip, into this daring rescue mission to save those who are drowning, to save us from an eternity under the judgment of God by bearing that judgment upon himself. You see, the type of rescue that Jesus came to bring about is the rescue of our souls. If we want to be rescued from the water, well, that's a lifeguard. If we want to be rescued from the fire, that's the fireman. But for our souls to be rescued, we need a saviour. And Jesus is that saviour. Right there in the middle of Calvary was the unexpected rescuer. The one who even prayed for the ones who nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He jumped into the water to save those who are drowning. He could not save himself because he came to save others. And now what did his rescue look like? Well, the second criminal, with eyes of faith, he could see what no one else there could. You see, it would have been so easy for him to just give in to the peer pressure around him, to join in with the mockery of the others, of Jesus. But instead, what did he do? He stood against the crowd. He stood against the crowd, which 
which highlights something. Even today, to, to take Jesus seriously takes courage, takes boldness. It is standing against the crowd. You see, this man was one who faced his end, who faced his death honestly. You see, it's very easy to face the end of life with either this sense of fatalism. You know, it's just, it just has to be. Or even this sense of dismissal. Or even just wishful thinking, it will be okay. But who are you kidding there? Who are we kidding? But this man was honest. He knew in his heart, we are getting what our deeds deserve. And so he saw in Jesus, the one who died next to him, the most unexpected rescuer. He is the king from God. And so what did he do? He begs this king. Verse 42. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To ask of Jesus to remember is to ask of Jesus to act. I know my life is coming to an end. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He was on the cross. But I trust that there is more. There has to be more to life than this. I may not have lived a good life. I know I do not deserve anything, but from the depths of my heart, remember me, Lord, and take me with you. And then Jesus responds with the most unimaginable rescue. In the very next verse, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. There's pardon for his sins. There's paradise for his soul. And even more than that, do you notice not just where he will be, but whom he'll be with? You will be with me. It's not like Jesus sends him to paradise and leaves him there alone. You will be with me. Your soul is safe with me. You'll be forever in the presence of God. There will be the great resurrection day. Now, if you just think about what Jesus promised there, I cannot imagine anything in this world more comforting, more reassuring, more peaceful than to face death, knowing my soul is not lost, for I'll be with God. C.S. Lewis, you may have heard of that great author, the one who wrote the Narnia series. He tried to capture this this sense of eternal life, life beyond the grave. And he puts it this way. He said, Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I mean, the story of Easter, the rescue story of Easter, begins that story, the greater story. But now this is where the Easter story becomes personal. You see, again, we can read and hear and understand Easter as a story that happened in history, but it is a personal story. No point seeing it as just a story out there that's interesting and fascinating, but it is a personal story. Because the story of Easter touches every soul even today. Over the 2,000 years, much has changed in our world. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Governments come and go. We'll have another election soon. But there are many things that do not change. The world remains unsettled. And so has the human heart. You see, this Easter, 
for you can be different. It can be different. Just like when I watch those, those TV shows, Bondi Rescue. You watch that and you think, well, I don't need that. That's not for me. Until I did. Well, as we watch and read of the life of this criminal, we may think the same way. Well, that's not for me. That's for him. Until one day, we too will face our end. It's just a matter of time. You see, this is also the same rescue we need today. The fear of the unknown is now known. Jesus has made that clear. And there is indeed now paradise with God who turned to him. And so the question this morning as we celebrate Good Friday is for you to ask yourself in your heart of hearts, have I done what this criminal did? Or am I like the other one? Have I dismissed Jesus? Have have I not put a second thought? Have I gone with the crowd and sneered and ridiculed him? Or have I been like this other criminal with humility, with the eyes of faith and see that he is the King of God. He is the Christ. He is that unexpected rescuer. I know I don't deserve anything, but will you, Lord, remember me too now that you are already in your kingdom? And do you know what the promise is? The promise is yes. The promise is always yes. When we come to him in faith and humility, it's why it's Good Friday. You see, that is the Easter story, but it is a personal story. Now, of course, for those of us here who are already Christians, and many of us may be, we already trust in Jesus, we already cherish this story, we already live with that hope of eternal life. Well, today for us, we need to be reminded once again of that great cost. Jesus was humiliated and shamed. He was beaten and bruised. He was crushed and pierced. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf. And so today we remember that cost. And perhaps today, for us who are Christians, it might be a reset for us today. If that is what my Lord did for me, I must once again align my life to him, my king. Align my life, my purpose, my priorities. He is king. He came. He could not save himself because he came to save others. And that's why it's Good Friday. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Easter story. A story that is not just far and distant, but a story that comes close. Because Jesus came to rescue us, undeserving people, in his death and resurrection. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll help us see how personal it is. That we too must be like that criminal. Humbly beg, Lord, remember us too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.